welcome to Alumni Voices, a podcast series from Oxford University. I'm Paul Hammond-Davies and every month I speak to a former student about their days at Oxford and the impact of their studies upon their career. For this episode, I'm joined by Henry Bonzu, a freelance journalist and broadcaster. His interest in journalism can be traced back to his days at Oxford, where he was studying modern languages. He went on to anchor several programmes on BBC London 94.9 FM, and in 2006, he co-founded Colourful Radio to cater for Europe's African and Caribbean communities. Henry Bonzu, thank you for agreeing to this interview. Thank you very much indeed, Paul, for inviting me. I'd like to start with your degree in modern languages at Magdalen. Why this degree in particular? Because when I was at secondary school at St Bede's College, Manchester, I had an aptitude for modern languages. I mean, I didn't know um, when I went there that I'd end up being good uh, German and French and Latin, a dead language, but of course with huge influence on the languages we speak across Europe. Um, and my parents, I think one evening, went to see my tutors and uh, they asked, well, what do you think about his chances of getting into university? And uh, the teachers said, well, if he wants to go ahead and do sciences, because I think he wants to be the next David Attenborough, he might get into university to do a biology degree. If he does German and French, he'll get to Oxford or Cambridge. So, case closed. <laughs> QED, yeah? That's what happened. And um, how did you find the degree? Um, well, it was about transitioning. I didn't make a good transition, although I found you know, Latin, of course, and then German and French very easy. Mm. Uh, at A-level, I struggled to make that transition, to turn that corner um, at degree level for a number of reasons. Some to do with social uh, environment and others to do with... I suppose where I was academically at the time, mm-hmm. I found it very easy to study the likes of Baudelaire, you know, and Racine uh, when I was uh, between the ages of 16 and 18. But from 19 to 21, 22, with all the social pressures of being at Magdalen in particular and Oxford in general, being a young person, being somebody who wasn't used to the independence that you get when you go to university, especially when you have the tutorial system and where you have to navigate your way socially among people that you've never met before. You know, it's extremely difficult and I wasn't really prepared for it. And as a result, I think my academic work suffered. So authors that I enjoyed studying at A-level, I didn't enjoy studying quite so much at degree level. Uh, Sometimes also partly because of the ways in which you interacted with tutors. Sometimes it was a lack of interaction <laughs> with tutors and you weren't really sure where you were going. And trying to develop new ideas and weave together what you had learnt or what you had absorbed from a lecture with what you had picked up from critics, uh, from what you picked up in library, from what you had discussed with fellow students and weave that into several thousand words of intelligent thought, mm. I found that a struggle. And the transition from A-level to the kind of Oxford tutorial system is quite a big leap as well. How did you find that? Well, I mean, I found it very difficult to make that transition because I wasn't used to studying independently for long periods of time, um, for sometimes a week to two weeks at a time. And if you're not used to it, you can get lost. You know, there's a huge range of pressures that the student, especially a student from my kind of background, African British immigrant background from the northwest of England, having gone to a private school, yes, but an independent Catholic grammar school without the tradition of sending huge numbers of people to uh, the likes of Magdalen College, Oxford, or to whatever college 
in Cambridge. You're not prepared socially, you're marginally prepared academically, and as a result, you can find yourself drifting, especially if you don't find your lane early enough, and the pastoral care isn't there. Mm. Not enough people who understand you in your year, not enough people who have trodden this path before you and are there to tap into. That was a big problem. And what was the trigger then? Uh, you got to your third year, you would have had finals on the horizon. What was? The, how did you calibrate yourself to get through that? Well, thankfully I had a break. <laughs> I, I went to uh, Paris for nine months. Um, you know, when you do a modern languages degree, usually you'll spend at least some part of the third year abroad. And so I spent about nine months in Paris and about a month and a half to two months in uh, Germany, you know, travelling around um, um, so I did that for nine months and I connected very, very strongly with young French people of um, Arab, North African and West African and also indigenous French background. You know, it was a fantastic time to be there because it was 1988 to 89, the year of the bicentenaire, mm -hmm. you know, of, of, of human rights of the French Revolution. And uh, so it was a really great historic time and, and it kind of enabled me to understand what I was doing and why I was studying this subject because so much of... The way in which um, modern languages are taught in school and then at university are purely by rote, even though it's not meant to be. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it doesn't really tap into the warp and weft of the historical narrative that can really fire you up and get you excited. You were involved in journalism while you were at Oxford. In my fourth year, yeah. And, and, and you wrote an article about what it's like to be uh, black in the ivory tower. Yes. Um, <laughs> can, can you kind of talk more about that and what provoked that, that article? I think uh, there was a long lead-in. I mean, um, you know, in the first year and second year, the, the occasional episode where people would say things that weren't out-and-out out racist but that would make you think, I don't belong or they see me differently over a period of time, and certainly by the fourth year, I began to crystallise my thoughts on what it meant to be um, of my background and at Oxford University. And I started thinking about what I would want to do when I left. I wasn't quite sure, did I want to be an interpreter? Did I want to be a teacher, a lecturer, something like that? And then I started reading uh, the university paper more closely, and I thought, well, my voice isn't being heard here. So let me go along to Charwell, to the offices, and suggest something. I did, and I wrote, I don't know how many words, it was just 500 or so words, and it was in this column called Bit on the Side, and I explained what I was going through and what I thought, and the, the impact that article had on a wide range of student opinion was phenomenal. People could say, oh my God, Henry, I didn't realise you felt this way. Why didn't you say something? <laughs> I said, well, I mean, I didn't think it was worth it. I didn't think anybody would listen. I, didn't, I thought people would see me as whinging, mm. but that made me think, wow. Writing this kind of piece has an impact, can have an impact, and I must do more of this. So I wrote a number of other articles for Charwell and then decided when I left Maudlin that I would pursue this as a career. Okay, well that's quite a nice segue, um, because my next question is around um, how you think your studies at Oxford have impacted your, your wider career. Being sent abroad by the Today programme, for example, um, one memorable occasion back in, I think it was 19... It might have been 1995 or six. It's ages ago now. And there was a big discussion. Michael Heseltine came into the studio, and there was a discussion about European Monetary Union. We used to call it EMU back then. And um, Heseltine said, uh, "Why don't you take your program to Germany or France to European Union?" You know where he speaks. He says, "And you'll find the Germans are not panicking about losing their culture if they abandon the mark, and the French aren't worried about losing their culture if they uh, abandon the franc." 
um, and take your program to uh, to Europe and and stop um, get it out of this little bubble, this Westminster bubble. Mm. And after the program, the editor of the day, Rod Little, you may remember him, <laughs> former editor of the Today program, he said, "Hmm, we need to send somebody to." Germany or France, who shall we send? And I was a junior producer at the time, and I didn't really want to go. I didn't fancy kind of going over to Heathrow that day. <laughs> I didn't have my passport with me, and I kind of bowed my head because I didn't want to be seen. But I was the only black guy in the office, so everybody knew I was in that day. <laughs> and he went, who speaks German and French? What about, um, I can see you, Bonsu, hiding behind your computer. <laughs> and so I was volunteering. And so I went over there, and I decided to go to Munich because I knew the place very well. I'd spent some time there. I knew Süddeutsche Zeitung was based there. I knew they had a massive, phenomenal university campus in Schwabing. I also knew that BMW was there, so you could take the barometer of industry. And I went out there um, at a drop of a hat with Six Smith, with almost no support, no backup. And we turned around two really good pieces, and so that was one, one of my, um, uh, I suppose, my proudest moments in my BBC career um, as a junior producer. But turning around a piece in a way that few people could, partly because of my ability in languages and understanding of the German uh, culture, especially in Bavaria, mm -hmm. and working with this correspondent, Martin Sixmiss, and doing two really good pieces. Mm. And the, the other end of that spectrum is that you were famously axed by ah, the BBC yes. London for being too intellectual and yes. not populist enough. That's right. I mean, how did you respond to that at the time and how do you think about it now? Well, I mean, I responded by talking to the media. I didn't go quietly and gently into that good night. Mm -hmm. I was determined that this should be pivotal, partly because a number of people had heard that this was the case. I think the managing editor of BBC London then and now, David Roby, made no secret of it. He said he felt that Henry didn't connect enough with the audience. Well, at the time I was doing the programme, they didn't really talk about that quite as much. I think they were more worried as time went by about LBC, about phone-ins. You know, the culture was changing about reaching out, broadening the base, worrying about Essex, man and woman. And so I lost my gig, but I, didn't, I don't think, even now, I had been treated fairly. I'd been given the chance to show what I could do, really align myself to be who I really was. I was in this BBC straitjacket because I thought you had to be. And so I spoke out about it. I was in lots of different newspapers on the front page of the Daily Telegraph. I was in The Guardian. I was on Sky News. I was everywhere. It went around the world. It was amazing. Mm. And out of it came my involvement in Colourful Radio. Had it not been for that, then the overall founder of Colourful Radio would not have picked up the phone and contacted me. And I wouldn't have spent seven years on a thankless task and I wouldn't have lost £100,000. So <laughs> I'm not really a businessman. But it was a, a very, very challenging but interesting experience trying to buck the trend of the last whatever number of years of African and Caribbean broadcasting in Britain, which was usually music-based mm -hmm. and had very, very little news and current affairs content, mm -hmm. to try and be a buccaneer in commercial radio, to try and um, confound the critics, to try and create an advertising base that would power a station like ours, to try and make a success of digital radio. We didn't really succeed in any of those points. <laughs> we succeeded in one or two, but um, in the end it, it did fail. Um, however, it was an experience that was as enriching as it was frustrating. As a broadcaster and a, a presenter on radio and TV, um, what would you say have been the highlights in your, in your whole career? Getting the likes of um, you know, Vince Cable, 
onto colourful radio. Mm-hmm. I mean, here's a guy, he had no clue who we were, but because I'd worked at the Today programme and because I was relatively fearless, partly because of the BBC training, but also the, the Oxford Magdalen College background, mm-hmm. it still gives you a sense of fearlessness, if you know how to use it. Mm-hmm. So the idea of contacting the Lib Dems and trying to reach out to Vince Cable, Boris Johnson, people like that, getting them onto colourful radio um, was great. And putting them under pressure, even George Galloway. And this um, came because I thought came about because I thought they should be on this station. You've taught or um, you've been involved in widening participation yeah. at um, Oxford University. What would be your advice to young black students who might not think that Oxford is for them? I would ask them to read widely, to consult widely. If you can't get the right advice at home, reach out to external organisations like, for example, AC Diversity, an organisation that's been going since 2003, run by a really dynamic African-Caribbean woman called Brenda King. And what she does is she works with young people aged between about 14 to 18, runs a mentoring and enrichment programme, and it's precisely those kind of young people who go to state schools that may not be ready to give them all the things they need to have a crack at Oxford or Cambridge or one of the Russell Group universities, pairs them off with people from the Bank of England, Goldman Sachs, Baker McKenzie, some of these big organisations, and really boosts their confidence. During my time, we didn't have any of this. I relied on my parents, on my teachers, and I suppose on, on self-belief, and also looking around at my area, Cheatham Hill, seeing some of the things that awaited people who didn't succeed at school. Strangeways Prison, for example, or a life not achieving. And you think to yourself, there's no way, that's my future. If you're bright enough, if you're prepared to ask the questions, and prepared to seek Knock on the door shall be open to you. So you have to knock. You have to look. You have to read. Look at the subject you want to study. Do you really want to study it? Think about the thing you tell yourself you want to do later. If you want to be a presenter on television and radio, be honest. You know, if you want to be a DJ, be honest with yourself because you will work hardest at that which you are most keen on. Henry Bonzi, thank you very much. To find out more about the Alumni Weekend and for other episodes of Alumni Voices, please visit www.alumni.ox.ac.uk.